I know us, we can, I come from an Italian family, we can talk about food with the best of them. My favorite bite, that's, that's, I know, it's tricky. It's like asking what your favorite child is. Uh, I'll, give you, I'll give you two. Uh, my, if I'm going sweet, which I am a major chocoholic, I, so I have my dad's cousins, many of you know, I've, I've literally preached on this before. Uh, my, my, cousin, my dad's cousin owns a, a choc, is a chocolatier in Erie, uh, they have a chocolate company called Romolo's. They make the world's most amazing chocolate. It is, I, I, let's put it this way, last time a fam, one of our family members went through Erie, the family order was over $600. Because <laughs> it's four hours away and it's hard to get, so when, whenever we know anybody's going through there, we, we send them with coolers and lots of money to bring back things that we can store up for the winter. Um, so that would, be no, that would be one. And then the other one is, uh, I, I love a good steak. Um, and uh, yeah, so probably the, probably the best steak I ever had um, was on vacation one, one, one year. Um, we, we, we went to this place that had, no, it wasn't vacation, it was, my, it was our honeymoon. We went to, uh, we were in Mexico on our honeymoon, and there was this one, it was, have you ever been to like a Brazilian uh, eatery where they just walk around with these giant swords of meat, and your plate gets empty, and they just walk by, they, where we were, they didn't even ask, they would just slop off another piece, and on your plate, you would just have this whole other mound of, of meaty goodness, so that, that, was, that was a special moment for me. Um, in case you're wondering, this has zero to do with our message today. I'm not setting you up for anything. Apparently, I should have eaten breakfast this morning. Um, <laughs> all right, we're gonna. Um, it's good to. It's good to laugh. It's good to just, just you know, talk. Just have a conversation with someone. Just get to know somebody. Um, but we're gonna jump into our, our message to, today. We've been in a series called called Pop Scripture. Um, we're looking at some of the most popular verses in, in the Bible, things that, that almost border on or can border on cliche, um, if you will. Um, oh, somebody stole my thunder. Yep, that's what we're talking about today. <laughs> uh, but, but they're cliche for a reason. We use them a lot because there's a, there's a lot of power in them. And, and the purpose of the series was to to, to kind of take a, a deeper look at them, a look at them again, that, that the Holy Spirit might stoke his, the, the power and, and the original intent of those verses. Um, and, and today, as, as we see, uh, we're going to be looking at Psalms 23, um, one of the maybe the most popular chapters in the Bible. Um, this is, it, it's, not a long, um, it's not a long chapter. It's not a long chapter. But there is so much in it. Um, and again, like, like always, if we're going to understand and really pull out uh, the, the power and the, the, the value in the Scripture, we need to understand the context in which it sits. We've talked about that um, before in past weeks, how if you really want to understand a Scripture, you've got to understand the black on the page, the white on the page, and the eyes on the page. 
right? You understand the black, the, 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 the sentence structure, the grammar, the, the, liter, the, the actual words that are there. We have to understand the white on the page, which is the context, the, 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 the backdrop, just like a written page, the ink, the black ink sits on a white page. It's the, the backdrop that gives, gives the words meaning and kind of fills it out. And then the, the, the final thing is the eyes on the page, the fact that when we read, when we seek to understand Scripture, or anything for that matter, even in, in, in our relationships with each other, there is, there is a depth of who we are that we bring into that conversation, our, our our preconceptions, our, our perspectives, our prejudices at times. And, and so we have to be aware of all those things and, and try and wrestle with all those, those different elements if we're going to really get to the heart of, of what the true meaning of, of something is. So that's what we're going to do a little bit today. Um, Psalms 23 is, uh, I mean, it's kind of spoiler alert, it's in the title. It's a psalm. <laughs> what, is, what is a psalm? A psalm is, is in, in Scripture. It's an inspired work of God. It is, it is Scripture. It is useful for correcting and teaching and rebuking on righteousness, all of those things. It is, but it is also a song. It is a poem. It is a form of literature, and, and, um, which means we have to interpret it, we have to treat it differently than we would other parts of Scripture. This, this is an important um, Bible study reality that, that, you know, the Bible is made up of 66 books over, over a long period of time, and there are lots of different genres of writing with, contained within it. And it's important to understand, and, and when you're reading Scripture, to know what part of Scripture, what type of literature you're reading. Just like, you know, you wouldn't read, you don't come at your tax code um, the same way that you look at or read the lyrics to your favorite song. Why? Because it, it, they're meant for different things, right? Um, uh, it's funny, uh, in, in our worship time, Lilia made a comment about that one line in, in Same God where it talks about he, he split the oceans, um, right? Because uh, technically that, that song, that, that, that line in that song is referencing a, a, a time where in Israel's history where God splits a sea, not an ocean, but ocean fit in the, the poetic, the prose of the song. So the, the writer of that song chose ocean instead of seas. But um, there, there is in some circles this lambasting and there's been a call to like, you know, talk cancel culture. Like we live in cancel culture. It's in the church too, right? To cancel that song and the guy who wrote it because he said ocean, not sea. Right? And there, there's, the, we can... That happens sometimes when we over, we don't appreciate the genre that we're working in, right? This is a, this is a poem, this is a song, and so when we come at it, we need to understand that it is going to be heavy on imagery, and it is and it is a personal expression of, of David's heart, who's the the author of this, and and that all should help us inform um, how we understand the, this scripture. David is also uh, the, the one who wrote it. He wrote this at a time in his life. He, it's later in his life, most, most scholars b believe. Um, most of his life has already happened. And he's kind of writing this as, as almost like a, um, 
I don't say a synopsis of his life, but in view of, of all that he's experienced with God. Um, and I think I, one of the things I love about this, this scripture and the fact that David wrote it is David's life, he was, he was king of Israel and he did a lot of uh, amazing things, but there's a lot of things that when you look at David's life, you, uh, you could look at disqualifying him from being, uh, being this 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 guy who writes scripture, right? That um, that just just like we tend to do with our own lives. There, there's so much of I'm. I don't think it's just me that um, when we have weaknesses in our life, when there are faults, when we have failures, we look at those things, and those those things tend to be the first thing that we evaluate our relationship with God and, and to some degree our anticipation of how God will interact with us, right? We tend to see them through the lens of, of our worst acts. And, and David, I, I love the fact that David wrote this psalm because if anybody had, had kind of uh, the resume to say, hey, the, God's goodness doesn't, doesn't apply to me. David had, had some really good qualifications on that resume, right? He, he was born a, a nobody, kind of in a very insignificant family, and he was, he was the youngest in the family, which um, at that time meant you really got the short end of the stick. Um, he was an adulterer. He, he, he was seen at times as being um, driven by his emotions and out of control, he, he, at one point, he was a mercenary for the Israel, his, the, the nation that he was the king over. At one point, he was a mercenary for their, sworn, for their sworn enemies. So there was, I'm sure, people, at least for seasons and parts of people, that, that, that had a hard time trusting his loyalty. He was a murderer. Um, we don't have time to go into all these stories. But, but uh, at one point, he was even run out of his kingship, his own son. Uh, kind of ran him out of town, and, and he, was, he was on the run um, and, and in the exile for, for a time. But none of that disqualified him from having a deep, intimate relationship with the Lord. It didn't stop him from being used by God. As a matter of fact, it didn't, it didn't even stop God from referring to David as a man after his own heart. Here we see the reflection of that heart what Psalms 23 is. And I, I think it's, it's such an important thing that we understand um, as we go in to look at this, that, that one kind of preemptively we can see in David's life that, that, that messing up, that, that having a resume and not the good kind is not a disqualification for having this sort of perspective about God, this kind of relationship with God. David was a, was a man after God's own heart. And it's, and it's this perspective that we're going to be reading about today that, that allowed him to overcome all of those things and in spite of those things, still be a great leader and an amazing worshiper of his God. And a... And a David was amazing at, at messing up. <laughs> he was really good at it. When he, you know, he, when he failed, he really failed spectacularly. But he was also spectacular at repenting. 
When, when David, David came back to the Lord, he, he, knew, he knew how to repent. And we need the same vision of our God. If we, if we want, and I trust many, most of us do, if, you, if we want to be said of us the same things that were said of David, that, that we are a person after God's own heart, we have to adopt David's perspective of his relationship with his God because it's out of that understanding that everything we do and think will flow. Let's pray before we get into our, our, our scripture. Father, we, we thank you for your word this morning. God, we ask that you would speak to us individually, clearly. God, as we look at familiar text, would you give us a fresh heart and, and new eyes to see it. Um, not necessarily new information, but a renewed reality. A, a, a new level of impact, a new level of embracing that this would become truly the way we see you. Amen. Amen. So we're in Psalms 23. Uh, Starting in, in, in verse 1, it says, uh, uh, a psalm of David. So that's how we know who wrote it. Uh, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. So here we have, David opens this, this song, this poem. And this verse is kind of a, a thesis verse. The rest, of, the rest of the chapter is going to basically be expanding on this idea. That the, the, the Lord is my shepherd, I, I lack nothing. And it also sets up kind of the imagery, the, the par- imagery paradigm that we're going to be looking at for most of the chapter. And that is, it's written from a sheep's perspective. Which I think is interesting. David, as most of you know, grew up as a child as a shepherd. And so he, 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 here he's drawing on his personal experience uh, to kind of give, give a, a picture or give language to, to his relationship with God. And, 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 and it, he's, he's calling him, himself uh, a sheep and, and God as his shepherd. This is, um, and this is where context helps us when we, we're able to look at these kind of, um, these real-time earthly images and see what, what, was, what did David mean by that? Well, uh, he, he's writing it from a sheep's perspective. What, what, what did he mean by a sheep? Is an, uh, you know, an obvious question we would ask. Well, um, there are, are, are several universal truths about sheep. Um, first off, they're very skittish. Uh, they are quick to, quick to run, quick to be scared. Um, and that is, makes sense because one of the other things about sheep is they're pretty much defenseless. They've got, they have, like, if confronted by an enemy, there's not a whole lot that they have within themselves to do to, to attack or defend themselves. Sheep are also not smart. Some would say dumb. <laughs> they, are, they, are, they lack a lot of common sense. They, they get themselves in a lot of trouble. Um, they... they need help. 
all the time for their own survival. Now, the, the interesting thing, and, and the one that I think, you know, we talk about that a lot, you know, we're sheep, we're dumb, all these things. And, and it's true, but I think we under, undervalue or underestimate the, one of the other, or the other significant kind of characteristic of a sheep. And that is, yes, they are skittish, yes, they are defenseless, yes, they are stupid, but they are also very valuable. In spite of all of those things, in spite of the fact that they can't do a whole lot, in spite of the fact that you're never going to use them to defend anything, they're never going to help you build anything, but the sheep themselves has a lot of value. Why? Because they produce wool. Because they produce, they're good for eating. That just the, who they, what they are is worth it to people to raise and protect and watch and guide them. And I think this is part of, of a, a key part of, of what David is, is, is expressing to us, is, is, is saying to God that, God, I, I, I have all of these flaws, but yet you still see value in me. And that is a, an important truth that we need to embrace, that, that God sees you, God sees value in you, not because of what you can accomplish, but, but just because of how he created you. There is an intrinsic value there, that it is worth his time and his effort to protect his investment in this sheep, you, me, that he has created. David's confidence in God's provision was rooted in God's character, God's value of him, not in his ability to perform anything. And it's this, this is one of the keys to the perspective that, that we need to embrace if, if we're going to truly let God be our shepherd. If we're going to have, if we're going to be a man after God's own heart. And moving on, verse 2 um, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He, he guides me along right paths for his name's sake. Such a soothing passage, isn't it? Just, ah, you know. Um, this phrase, he, he makes me lie down, it sounds kind of forceful though, doesn't it? He makes me lie down. And that's really just kind of uh, a holdover from, from earlier translations. This, this idea of he makes is really, it's not a, a, a picture of, of being forced as much as it is. He creates an environment in which this thing is able to happen. All right? Um, there's other verses in, the, in, in Scripture, some translations, where it talks about how God has made us glad. Right? This, he's not forcing you to be glad. He's, he's creating a situation in which gladness is produced. It's, it's kind of the same thing here. Because as we mentioned, sheep are, are skittish. And, and, and they are, the only defense they have is their skittishness. Right? They are, they, and if they are agitated, if they're nervous, if they're threatened, uh, they, they won't do any of these things that David just said. They, they literally won't eat. They won't drink. They won't lay down. They won't rest. And so what David is, is painting a picture here is, is one of a God who is creating an environment in which we are allowed to breathe. 
And that's such a, an important thing that we understand. That it is God's intent, it is his heart for you in life to be at rest. It is not just a reward for doing all the right things. It is the prefer, his preferred state for your life. And at times, when we, when we mess up, when we sin, when we, when we aren't listening to our shepherd, when we aren't guided, we end up in situations where we, don't, where, where we uh, are not at rest, right? But sometimes we, we're trying to, trying to earn that rest, and God's saying, no, I need, you to, I need you to let me help you rest, <laughs> Right? Because we can't do it on our own. It's up to the shepherd to create the environment that is conducive for the sheep to rest. And so he, he makes me lie down in, in green, green pastures. There's a lot of imagery here we're going to kind of be cutting into today. Um, and I, this is one of my favorite uh, things of this whole chapter. This is one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. This, this little word picture right here. Because I think... Um, I think we get it wrong a lot of the time and, and actually miss kind of a more realistic version of what David is trying to say to us in this image. Um, he makes me lie down in green pastures. And then um, at the end, in verse 3, he says, he guides me along paths of, of uh, right paths for his namesake. These, these green pastures, you know, we picture this, right? These these rolling meadows and beautiful hills. And we had the original, that, that first graphic that was up. This one, these beautiful hills and rolling and the sheep. And it's, it's all nice, um, which is great, except for the fact that neither of these pictures were, were, were anywhere near what the conditions were in the hills where David was a shepherd. In fact, if we can move on to the, there we go. So this is <laughs> a much more accurate picture of, of these lush hills that, that David is, is referring to, these green pastures. Now, in Israel, there are uh, sort of rainy seasons, and at, at different times, or if you should show the next one. Um, there you go. Um, here's another, just, you know, doesn't that look just so peaceful? Um, uh, th- there are different seasons where, yes, there is more, more grass, more foliage than others. But in a lot of places, I mean, this is, this is good eating <laughs> at the moment. Um, and, and I think it's important that we have a realistic picture of what David is talking about. Because sometimes I think the enemy uses that original image in our mind to kind of, in, kind of tell us that, that we're, we must be doing something wrong. Right? Because we have this expectation of, of living in an existence that is an Irish meadow. But the problem is, we are not in Ireland. We are in Israel. <laughs> and these, these, in Ireland, it's easy to farm sheep. Right? You just, there's, I mean, it's super lush grass. You put up a fence, you know, and you, you, you keep an eye on them, but you're pretty much good. In Israel, you need a shepherd, right? The, the sheep have to have a shepherd because somebody's got to lead the sheep to where the grass is and lead the sheep to where the water is because the things that they need are not in the same place. In fact, the, um, these, you know, he talks about, uh, 
how, how the shepherd guides on right paths. Well, it's hard to see, but you can kind of tell this is a, um, kind of a mountain, right? And goes up. Um, and typically, especially in uh, certain parts of the, 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 the not-so-rainy season, the grass or the food would be at the top of these, these hills, more like mountains. Um, and they're pretty steep. And what would happen is, is uh, the shepherds would have to lead the sheep actually up, this, up these mountains, these hills, but they, they couldn't get straight up the mountains. So what the shepherds would have to do was actually lead the sheep around the mountain in almost like a corkscrew all the way up. And it was long and it was slow, but it was the only safe way to get to where they needed to go. And I think that's such a, a beautiful picture, of, <laughs> at least of my life, that I see this, sometimes I see this grass at the top, and I, and I know I need to go, go get that grass, right? And I just want to climb this, this rock face and get up there, and, and the Lord seems to be pushing or leading me down this way. And I'm going, but God, it's up there. That's where I need to go. And eventually, in time, sometimes longer than it needs to take and um, more difficult it needs to because I resist following him, but eventually you discover that, no, the only way to get there is his way. And it's going to take longer because the short way is too dangerous. I remember, uh, I remember um, back when I was 12, or so, uh, we used to do, anybody remember when we used to, uh, church picnics at High Banks? Way back in the day, yeah. Um, well, there was, most of the kids my age, that meant, that meant we, we came, we ran around, we had fun, we ate, and as soon as the parents quit paying attention to us, we would sneak off into the woods, and there was, if you took this trail and then went off the trail, there was these huge shale ravines, um, they were slate all the way up, and, and we would go down in there, and then it was, um, you know, it, it was a bunch of 12-year-olds, so it was, it was, the game was, let's, let's see who can find the most dangerous cliff and see how high they can climb before, you know, there's a shale slide and you fall on, on your backside. Because we were 12 and we were dumb. Right? But David is saying here, God, God is, a, is a good God, and he has a, he has a plan and a path for us that we have to follow, and it's going to take longer most of the time than our plan. But he does it because it's, it's safer. It's the only good way to get to where he knows you need to be. Whatever is going on in, in life today, Jesus is leading you to green pastures and quiet waters. It may look like he's taking you a long way, but that's because it's the best way. You know, in, in relationships, the, the, the youth right now are, are in the middle of a, a series about um, Christian sexuality and, and relationships and dating and all these things. And, um, one of the things that, that we're talking to them about is, is, you know, how just the world's perspective of, of, of sexuality and relationship versus God's way. And God's way is, is 
slow and it's this, you know, this, this single committed physical relationship that you have, that you, you do once you are ready and it's once and forever. And it, it, it's harder and, and it's more complicated and, and, it, and it takes a long time to get there. And even once you're there, it, 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 it can be awkward at times. But it's still the best path. You know, another truth that this picture paints for me is that, that following Jesus is, is a journey, not a destination. Following Jesus is, is a journey, not a destination. Because part of, part of what the, the, the good shepherd does is he trains us how to follow him. And the better the sheep learns to follow the shepherd, the safer the sheep is. The, the, the more, and to, to some degree, the more freedom the sheep can have. If a shepherd can trust and knows, hey, this sheep's a good sheep. They listen to me. They do what I tell them. He's, he's going to give that sheep more freedom to, to, to enjoy whatever area they're in than the troublesome sheep that he always has to keep an eye on and keep in arm's reach, right? We'll talk more about that in a, in a, in a second. Um... There is constant movement in our lives because all the things we need, and we mentioned this, aren't in one place. You know, it's, it's not an Irish meadow. Life isn't an Irish meadow. You don't have all of the grass you will ever need next to the beautiful running, you know, quiet running river and the, the hearth over here. And so God is constantly having you move. And sometimes we can almost get resentful of that fact because we're, we're looking for a destination. We're looking for God. I want to I please you. I want to do what you want me to do. But it seems like every time I get someplace, you want me to go some, someplace else. And God's going, yes, that's right. Because you needed to eat. And now you need to drink. So I got to take you over here. And now there's wolves coming around that corner. So we've got to go over here. That is the journey of the Christian life. Because it's not about just getting to some place, some static place of spiritual maturity and waiting for him to come back and take you. It's about a life of learning to follow him. And learning to enjoy following him. Because one, one thing I, I, I think I, I, uh, I know about us, meaning people, um, we're kind of bad at knowing what we actually want, right? We work our whole lives. We have this picture of, 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 you know, this idyllic picture of what retirement is supposed to be, you know, and, and we want to get there, we want to get there. And then, and then we get there and like three weeks into it, you hear over and over again, all of a sudden, now it's not what we thought it was. We, want, we work so hard to get to this place where we can do everything we want to do, when we want to do it, and we don't have to do anything else. And then we get there, and three weeks into it, we are bored. And we're, we're, we're aimless, and we're, we're purposeless, and we're, we're, and we're frustrated. It's because we weren't built for just a destination. We were created for a journey. And sometimes that journey goes into un, un, unfriendly places. Verse 4, David, David addresses that. He says, even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. 
Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You know, and, and it's, in the darkest valleys in Israel, it's, it's not, especially back then, they didn't, have, they didn't have highways and, you know, street lights and all this stuff. If you were in a valley, it was like dark. Especially if you're in a valley at night, it was like, like dark, like not like city dark, not like the dark we know, like the, the, the country dark. You ever been in like country dark? Or cave dark, where it, it feels like the darkness is like sucking the eyes out of you somehow. Like it's it's freaky. Listen, when you find yourself in the, this is the the type of place that David is describing here, and he's saying in those in those darkest valleys, um, you can't see the shepherd. Right? You can't. It's just not light enough. And in those, in those cases, the shepherd has, has a few things at his disposal that he can use to guide you in that moment. There is his voice, which is why it's so important that, that shepherds learn, or sheep learn to hear their master's voice. Right? So important. That, and this, this, is the, this is the primary, this is the big one. This one is the, kind of the preventative one. If we, if we get really good at hearing the shepherd's voice, the other ones don't come into effect as, nearly as often. And that's preferred. Right? Um, if we learn to hear God's voice, if we learn to follow his, his, his leading with his voice, um, that is the, the best way, and that is the way God largely wants to, to lead us. It's through, through speaking to our hearts, through his word, through truth guiding us with his, his, his voice. But there, there, he has other instruments at, at his, his uh, disposal. And I want to, um, and, and David mentions them, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And I, I think we're going to talk about the rod and the staff for just a minute. Um, but before we talk about them, I want to I draw attention to the fact that David describes these things as a comfort. Why? Because he understands their intent. He knows the purpose of those instruments. He knows that they are, the shepherd uses them and has them for the sole purpose of keeping the sheep safe and protected. Even at times where the use of them is not comfortable. Because, I mean, we, we, we all have seen the, you know, the picture of the, sh- the shepherd, uh, uh, you know, at Christmas time, you always see the shepherds with their staffs, right? Um, and they had a rod. And these, these were the two primary tools of a, of a shepherd. The staff was long and it had a crook. And, and the, the shepherd would use it um, to guide the sheep. They, they'd take the little crooky part. And they'd, if a sheep was going somewhere that they weren't off track, he'd hook them you know, by the neck and kind of give them a nudge and get them back, back going the right way. They would use the hook sometimes if a sheep got stuck in a, in a ditch um, they could use that to kind of hook them and yank them out. Um, I don't know, has anybody seen the meme of the, the sheep stuck, stuck in a crevice and the shepherd yanks them out and the sheep hits the ground and immediately dives back into the crevice? This is, this is what he's working with, guys. I'm sorry, this is, this is us. We're all friends here, we can admit it. 
Um, so, so there's the staff, and then there's the rod. The rod was like a, it was like a club, really. Um, it was a sapling, and, they, and, and the, the shepherd would take it. And this, you, he would use this for several purposes. One was um, if, a, uh, if a lion or some sort of predator were to come at the, the sheep, they would, he would use it to fight off the, the predator. Um, he would throw it at him, possibly scare him away, or, or club, club the thing. Um, but that wasn't the only use for the rod. The rod was also used if, because, again, sheep not super smart. They had a tendency to try and eat bushes that were poisonous or get too close to cliffs that they were going to fall off. And at times, the, the, the shepherd would use the club to scare the sheep back into line. If the, the sheep had gotten too far away that the, the shepherd couldn't physically get there in time, he'd chuck his rod at them. Now, that's not... That's not fun for us. But David calls it a comfort because he, he understood why the shepherd was doing it. And God does that to us sometimes. There, there are things, there are times in our life where we experience something that is terrifying or even painful. And when we have a, when we have, um, a heart after God... Our, our understanding, our presumption of that is should draw our attention back to him and go, okay, God, what, what, what am I missing? You know, where, where's the poison I was about to eat? Where is the, where is the, 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 the cliff I was about to fall off of? But a lot of times, you know, the enemy will get in there or just our own bad thinking and our initial reaction is, is to, like, blank, get mad at God, right? Like, what are you doing throwing that thing at me? That's, that, that's not cool. I thought you, I thought you were, you know, a kind, loving God. Everything that, when God is involved, everything is for our good, but it's not everything is good. And then there are times where even, um, if a sheep had a real problem with running away, the, the shepherd would take that rod and he would break their leg with it. Um, but that's not the end of the story. The, the, the shepherd would then bind the leg, you know, make a splint, and then he would take the, the sheep and he would carry the sheep until the leg healed. And then after that, once the leg was strong, um, he, he'd let the sheep let the sheep go again. And then at that point, the sheep would, would have learned the shepherds sent and learned to trust the shepherd because he had spent so much time so close to him. And sometimes, sometimes the, the, the Lord does that for us. And it, and it can be painful um, and frustrating and scary. But it's for our it's for our, our, our our benefit. It's, it's, there, there's a purpose in it. And David understood that. And when we understand that, um, there's nothing that can happen to us. You know, the, the New Testament talks about how nothing can separate us from, God, from God's love. It's, it's this perspective that makes that true. That It doesn't matter what happens to me. It doesn't matter what uh, situation I find myself in. I know that God is using this, is going to use this, even if he wasn't the author of it, even if there is nothing holy about what is happening in the situation. I know that God can lead me through it.
Well, if you want to come on up, we're going to getting getting close to a landing here. Um, so, so how did David cultivate this this mindset? I think there's two kind of keys to, to David's uh, courage or his his ability to to keep this perspective. And the first one is that uh, David had a focus on God's presence, not on the absence of danger. What do I mean by that? Well, sometimes I think we we our mentality, our our focus is. We're trying to, uh, either mentally in our head or in our situations, our, our perspective is we, we're looking to get to a place where we don't see any danger. That's, that's safe. That's, that's where God is trying to get us. And the, the, the problem is there's, no, there's nowhere in Scripture that, that, that supports that, that perspective. <laughs> that God's goal for your life is to get you in a place where there is no danger. And I think David understood that. And he learned that the key is not to try and get in a place where there is no danger, but that in whatever place you're in, to focus on the fact that God is present. And we see this in, in his, his final, uh, final part of this passage where David says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my, my cup overflows. They, David understood that, that the only thing he really needed to be guided in the right way and the only thing he really needed to be safe was the presence of God, not the absence of danger. And the other thing that I think we, like we just talked about that, that really was a key for David and is a key for us is understanding the tools in the shepherd's hand. Understanding and believing with all our heart that, that situations, that, that God is always going to be leading us even through painful means if necessary to get us to the place that he knows we need to be. Our role is to follow and to trust. When we do that, when we have that perspective, we get to verse 5 and 6 where, where we see uh, David now kind of shifts his imagery a little bit because this last couple of verses really, he kind of, kind of, turns a little bit away from the, the sheep imagery. Um, but he says, you prepare a table before me in the, the presence of my enemy. You, you anoint my head with oil. There's a lot of discussion about what exactly is David talking about here, but, but everyone pretty much agrees. It, it, it's a picture of, of provision and honor in the face of our enemies, in the face of our trials, in the face of those that, that are coming against you, whether that's physical flesh and blood people or that is, that is the enemy who is out to, out to destroy your life. And, it's, it, it's not, and I love how it's, it's not just about honoring you, but it's honoring you and, and providing for you in the face of the enemy. 
tells us a couple of things. The first one is that God is not embarrassed of you. That God is looking to put you in a position of honor. Why? Not, not, not because you did all the right things. We talked about that. But just because you're valuable. And because this is the way that he glorifies himself in our life. And then we see in verse 6 the statement that, that kind of is, the, the, I think, the summation of all. The, it's, it's almost like an if-then statement. If you, if you see God as this good shepherd, if you, if you have the perspective that David had in this psalm, this psalm, if you understand that in every situation God is leading and you trust him implicitly, the response in your heart will be verse 6. That surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. How powerful is it, would it be for that to be your driving perspective on the world? Talk about, you know, is the cup half full or half empty? What if your, your, your just baseline view of the world was that goodness and love were following you all day long? And that your expectation was to dwell, was to abide in God's presence, in His house, in His family, in His community. How would that, how would the, that assumption change how you, you deal with your day? You deal with your, your coworkers that, that, that are troubling. You deal with your, your, your kids that are, that are wilding out and not listening to you. you. You deal with life situation that doesn't seem like, like it's in control. God invites us. He says, I can, I can make in you a heart that, that believes that. Because again, it's not us, it's, it's the Holy Spirit in us. And he wants to enliven that truth in us. He wants to train our hearts and our eyes and our ears and our hands, every part of us to, to believe this, to, to see the world this way. And so I wanna close, close our, our, our time today with just a, a, a simple song. If you guys wanna stand, it'd be great. And it's, we're just going to, it's a song, we've sung it here before, it, it's, it's what we just were teaching about. It's, it's Psalm 23. But before we sing it, I just want to offer a, a, a prayer, and, and if, if you want to pray this with me, I just encourage you, maybe just raise your hand as a sign that, that you're praying it to. Just that God would use this song to, to soften our hearts and to... to wipe any scales from our eyes of our life that we would we would truly see and feel um, our whole world through this lens that God is a good shepherd that he is he is leading us even when we it doesn't make sense where <laughs> and that that he has goodness and love pursuing us not because we're so 
we're so good or, or we're so, you know, accomplished, but because we're just valuable to him because he made us to be valuable to him. So, Father, we, we, we ask that you would, you would give us eyes to see, Lord. We, God, it's, uh, there's so much in, in, in our lives that, that convince us, that try to, to get us to doubt your faithfulness and, and convince us of, of how unworthy we are. Lord, we ask in this moment, would you, would you change our, our hearts and our minds? Would you give us eyes to see and confidence in your great, your great love, your great plan, your great path that you want to lead us into? God, forgive us for those, those times, those moments that, that we are, um, we're just, we're out of our, our fear and our skittishness and our stupidity. We just run the other way. God, forgive us for that. You, you make it clear in your word that, that you, you are faithful and just to do that, to forgive us. And not only do you forgive us, but you pursue us when we do. And so, Lord, if there are those of us in the room that, that have maybe in, in just one area of our life, we've been running, we've been scared, we've been skittish, we've been stupid. Whether maybe it's our, our finances, we haven't been, been letting you lead us in, our, in paths of righteousness. Maybe it's, maybe it's our, 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 our physical bodies, we've been doing things to them that, that, that aren't in your paths of righteousness. Maybe it's in relationships. Maybe it's in our, our belief that truth is important and, we're, and we have a, we're just struggling with, with being honest at times. We, we confess that. We ask that you would, you, Holy Spirit, would you fill us as we sing this song? May the, the words of these songs become, become true in a way that we've never experienced before. That we would, by your Holy Spirit, believe them and trust in the truth of your word. We're, we're basically going to, we're singing scripture, we're singing your words, we're singing your promises. God, would you, would you drill it into our hearts and minds this morning?